Chapter 5 The Believer Catechized Do you believe this? John 11, 26 The Saviour said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? John 11, 25-26 When believers are full of sorrow, they can be assured that comfort is prepared that precisely fits their situation. For every lock that God has made, He has provided a key. Just as every blade of grass has its own drop of dew, so every grief has its comfort. I do not doubt that for every pain that grieves this mortal body, there is a relief among the herbs of the field, and for every disease there is a remedy in God's wondrous laboratory, if we could only find it. As for us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can rest assured that if we are weighed down by excessive sorrow, it is almost always our own fault, and it arises from a defect in our faith. If our faith were as strong as it should be, we would be well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. 2 Corinthians 12.10 We would find that as our tribulations abounded, our consolations would also abound, through Christ Jesus. It would be good, therefore, when we are greatly distressed, not to look so much to the apparent cause of the present trouble as to the condition of our own hearts. It would be wise to inquire about where our faith is lacking, and what keeps us from laying hold upon the comfort provided for the present distress. Our faith is often defective because of lack of knowledge. A person cannot believe what he does not know. My dear tried friend, there is a promise in the Scriptures that would exactly meet your circumstance, and if grasped by faith, it would immediately comfort you. Yet it doesn't help you at all because you may never yet have read it, or, having read it, you may never have paused over it and considered its meaning, and so you are needlessly distressed. Your relief lies close at hand and is easy to apply. Maybe you have not yet learned the whole wealth of gospel doctrines, and this also deprives you of comfort. You have laid hold upon the vital and saving part of revelation, but you don't know the strengthening and invigorating part of it. You have fed on the necessary bread of Christ's house, but not upon the delicious fruits of his garden. You have been in the field, but you have not walked in the garden to eat his pleasant fruits. Faith cannot believe what it does not know, and therefore you have missed choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine, which could have been your strength and your joy. Isaiah 25, 6. We would all grow in comfort if we grew in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and if we had a more intelligent appreciation of the preciousness of the truths that He has revealed. Faith can be defective through ignorance, and it can also be defective through a lack of appreciation of the person of Christ. It was this way in Martha's case. She did not know enough about her Lord to understand His power to meet her sorrow. The Apostle Peter says in the passage that I just quoted, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 As if the knowledge of Jesus were indeed the most important and gracious knowledge that a believer can obtain, and so it is. If we are only half instructed about our Lord, we will only be half comforted. O oh, mourners, you have not rated the Saviour highly enough. You do not yet have a large enough idea of His love for you and of His design of infinite wisdom in permitting you to be afflicted. If we knew the Lord Jesus better, our afflictions would be lightened and our hearts would even rejoice in them. If we only knew you well, O blessed Christ, then if the same trials remained with us, they would lose their gloom beneath your smile, 
and we would even come to rejoice in them as ministering to our fellowship with you in your sufferings. If we know Jesus well, sorrow loses its sting. Surely even the bitterness of death is past. It is not to be supposed that every true believer in Christ is definitely a perfect believer. Martha truly believed in Jesus, but she did not perfectly believe in Him. I don't know how many people listening to this have, or rather think they have, perfect faith. Such good people will get very little from this section of the book, but then, happily, they don't need it. Those of us who have an imperfect faith, and I suspect that this would describe most of us, can gather instruction from the Saviour's question to Martha, Do you believe this? John 11.26 May the Holy Spirit cause it to be so. Let us imagine that we hear His loving lips asking us now about this truth and all of God's Word, Do you believe this? We want to believe everything that's true, and we want to receive into our minds every doctrine that the Holy Spirit has revealed, for we want to perfect our discipleship. One of the privileges of a Christian is that when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. John 16.13. We desire to believe everything that is within the range of our spiritual knowledge, so that our faith taking the entire range of divine truth, will be complete for every emergency and mighty in every conflict. Submit, then, to a heart-searching inquiry as to your faith, and hear Jesus ask by His Spirit, Do you believe this? Do you believe this particular doctrine? I will not now suggest any one doctrine above another but will simply advise you to ask the question about every revealed truth. Do you believe this specific doctrine? You who are believers have faith in the Scriptures in general. You can boldly declare that you believe all that is written in the inspired volume from the first word of Genesis to the last word of the Revelation. The point now is to take each separate item out of this general mass of things believed or supposed to be believed, look it over in detail, and then say with your heart and conscience, I believe this. It's easy to talk in general, and it's very easy to think that we have a large amount of faith, yet we may actually not have much faith or none worth having. We might have put the treasure of truth into a bag that is full of holes, and so may have lost it as quickly as we have found it. We might think that we embrace the entirety of revealed truth, yet when we come to a quiet examination of our soul, we might find that much is slipping away from us by a process of questioning and doubt that we hardly want to admit. Things believed and never used are like a sluggard's farm that lies uncultivated and is never tilled. We hardly call such land a farm, and can we call such belief real faith? Some truths taught in the Word of God are not even known by many who claim to be Christians, and we cannot believe what we do not know. It is the same situation as that suggested in the Apostles' question, How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? Romans 10.14 If we don't see the surface meaning that is within our reach, we cannot be said to believe in any real sense. When our Saviour questioned Martha, she had already expressed her faith in certain great truths. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. John 11.21 She believed in the Saviour's power to heal the sick. She believed that as long as her brother still breathed, the power of Christ could have kept him alive. She was convinced that Jesus had power over disease and could restore the suffering to health. This was something worthy of her faith, but it wasn't enough. Our Lord set a further fact before her when He asked, Do you believe this? It is our duty to grow in knowledge and to exercise faith in proportion as we do so. Next, Martha believed that although her brother was dead, the power of Christ's prayer 
was so great that he could do something, although she doesn't quite say what, to comfort the bereaved. Scripture, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. John 11:22. She had faith in our Lord's influence with God in prayer, and that to an unlimited degree. She believed in Jesus as a mighty intercessor. She knew that he only had to speak with the Most High, and his request would certainly be answered. This is a very commendable amount of faith. I wish we all had that much faith. To have such faith was certainly admirable, but it was not enough to give her present comfort. Therefore, Jesus put before her a fact that was even more honorable to himself, and then he added, Do you believe this? Martha also expressed her firm conviction as to the certainty of the general resurrection. Scripture, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. John 11:24. She had learned this, no doubt, from the Old Testament scriptures and from the general belief among Orthodox Hebrews. She may also have learned this great truth from the teaching of the Savior himself. She was a thoroughly sound believer in this great fundamental doctrine, but she had not yet seen the resurrection in the Christian light, and she had not yet understood our Lord's connection with it. She had not yet learned enough to give her comfort under her heavy loss, for it is clear that she derived very little consolation from the fact of a distant and general resurrection. She needed resurrection and life to come closer to home and to become more of a present fact to her. Our Savior pointed her to a truth concerning Himself that would answer that purpose. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. Do you believe this? John 11.25-26 Here was a well of comfort. From which she had never drunk, because, like Hagar in the wilderness, she had never seen the divine supply. Genesis 21, 16 19. Christ pointed her to it and asked her if she would drink. I wish, dear friends, that all of us who call ourselves Christians would go over the Bible every once in a while and review the great doctrines in order. We should consider each one of them asking ourselves, Do you believe this? Take, for example, that great and earliest of doctrines, the election of grace. Scripture, Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Romans 8.29 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. Ephesians 1, 3-5 Pause over these texts. Consider their evident meaning. And then ask yourself, Do you believe this? Some believers in Christ do not attempt to accept this doctrine, but even call it horrible. Others speak of it as so mysterious and impractical that it is not to be preached in public. I would invite such people to honestly look at doctrine in the face and see whether they believe it or not. If they do not, they might as well take a pen and cross out all passages of the Word of God that plainly teach it. They would not want to do this, and yet they do that which amounts to the same thing. When a person is afraid of or ashamed of a doctrine, he has serious cause to suspect that he does not believe it. Take another grand truth. Scripture, A man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 3.28. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1. He that believeth on him is not condemned. John 3.18, King James Version. 
The perfect pardon of the believer, the complete justifying power of the righteousness of Christ to them that believe, is plainly taught in the Bible. Do you believe this? If you do, why do you call yourself a miserable sinner every day when you are not so any longer, but are a blood-washed saint and a happy child of God? Why do you talk about your sin as if it were not forgiven? And why do you speak of yourself as if you were still children of wrath, even as the rest? Ephesians 2, 3, when you are justified in Christ Jesus and accepted in the Beloved. Look at the scriptural truth and at your conduct, and then ask yourself, do you believe this? Suppose you turn to the scriptures and read of the union of Christ with his people. Scripture, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. John 17:23. I am the vine, you are the branches. John 15:5. When you read or hear this, ask yourself, do you believe this? Do you believe that all who live unto God are one with Christ? Do you believe this? If so, why are you troubled as to your acceptance with God since you are one with Christ? Why do you think that you will ultimately perish if you are one with Him? Will Christ lose the members of His body? Do you think that one after another of the limbs of His spiritual body will rot away and die? Has He not said, Because I live, you will live also? John 14, 19 do you believe this? Maybe people will say of a certain truth that it is a difficult or a mysterious doctrine, or one that seems almost too good to be true. But this is missing the mark. The one question is, is it given to us by God in His Word? Paul asked, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Acts 26, 27. So I would ask you, if you believe the prophets and the apostles, why do you not believe each of those great truths that God has spoken by them? And if you believe that these truths have been revealed to us by God in His Word, how dare you cast a slur upon them by saying they are too difficult or complicated or mysterious or something else? I will not ask you to believe my statement or the statements of theologians and pastors, but turn to the infallible book itself. See what is there written, and then ask yourself, do you believe this? As you come across this statement or that statement of the Holy Scriptures, do not dismiss it, object to it, twist it, or try to see if some scholar has tried to explain the life out of it, but believe it, just as you find it. If you cannot do so, stop until you can. Cry out to God for further light until you can answer the Saviour's question without hesitation, saying with Martha, Yes, Lord. John 11, 27. Do you believe this? This question, well managed and pressed home, will enlarge the range of faith. It will strengthen its grasp upon your heart and life. How rich our souls would become! Our inward confidence would feed upon wonderful food if we would simply treasure up each crumb of revealed truth. Search the Scriptures and take the teaching of the Word of God in detail, line by line and word by word, and say to your soul, Do you believe this? Ask for an anointing from the Holy One that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Ephesians 3, 18-19. You will benefit much from this first point if you will conscientiously and consistently ask yourself, Do you believe this? Do you believe this distinct doctrine? I find, especially among members of certain churches, great cloudiness regarding their faith. I wouldn't judge severely, 
but I notice that those converted people who come to us from certain groups, which I will not now name, believe the gospel, but it is too much after the manner of the coal miner in the old story. He was asked, What do you believe? He answered, I believe as the church believes. He was then asked, But what does the church believe? He replied, The church believes what I believe. He was further asked, And what do you and the church believe? He answered, We both believe the same thing. There was no getting any further with him. Is not this kind of faith common enough at this day? Many who are called Christians have this blind faith and little more. This weak faith in you know not what is more proper for fools than for rational beings. Let those delight in it who are of a low mind, or who are too lazy to think for themselves. As for us, as long as we have eyes, we will not give in to walk blindfolded. We like people to do their own thinking. Hang your clothes out to dry if you want to, but you should do your thinking at home. You will not reach the land of truth unless you pay your way there by thinking about the teaching of the Lord. You can believe or not believe, whatever I tell you, but I plead with you not to accept it for any other reason than that, in your own judgment, it is in accordance with the mind of God as unveiled in Holy Scripture. God has given each person a judgment, a conscience, and understanding, and the owner of them is obligated to use them. Light is not given to everyone in the same way, and so those who do not have great knowledge often use guides to help them learn. However, light can only be seen by a person's own eyes, and he cannot see objects by someone else looking at them for him. By experience, some people have learned much more than others, and so they are useful helpers, but no one's experience of grace can take the place of my own. We each must feel and know the divine life in our own soul. Just as all food must be chewed and digested by each person for the nourishment of his own body, so must truth be read, observed, learned, and inwardly digested by each person for the nourishment of his own soul. The Church of Rome says to yield an implicit faith to their church. This is a fine plan for their priestly system and you see through the scheme in a minute. But we say the very reverse, telling you not to believe a single word that any of us, or all of us put together, say to you if it is contrary to the Word of God. Read the Word of God for yourselves. Search the Scriptures, and see whether these things are so or not, just like the Bereans of old did. Acts 17.11. They were called noble because of it and you will be noble if you rise to the dignity of your strength. With the help of God, use your own sense and understanding, and pray for the teaching of His Spirit, so that you can know what the truth is. Our Savior put a specific truth before good Martha, in clear terms. He left the general haze of the resurrection in which she believed, and He said, I who stand before you am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe the doctrine put in this clear form and shape? He gave her crisp, sharp, definite teaching, and asked, Do you believe this? He didn't set before her a vague, unclear, shadowy image of truth, but he presented to her a solid, substantial statement that he himself was the resurrection and the life raising those who believe in Him from the dead, and keeping in life those who, being alive, believe in Him. Then he demanded, Do you believe this? A great many people see doctrines in a kind of dim, hazy light, and in that low light they exercise a sort of faith, but they will never get comfort out of truth in that way. We must believe revealed truth as we see it in its own clear, well-defined, and accurate form as Scripture shows it. For instance, the doctrine of the atonement is robbed of half its delight if it is not clearly stated.
Thousands of Christians believe in a kind of atonement, a means of reconciliation, a sort of propitiation made by Christ that in some way or another brings us to God. But, beloved, you need to believe that He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, 1 Peter 2.24, and that the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him, Isaiah 53.6. Do you believe this? Scripture, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Do you believe this? Read the fifty-third chapter of Isaiah, in which you have substitution set forth most clearly. Yes, read the chapter through and pause over the different verses, such as verse 11. Scripture, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Then ask yourself, do you believe this? The very life, soul, and sweetness of atonement will be found in the substitution of the innocent Savior for the guilty sinner, in actually bearing the penalty of sin, the real payment of the debt. It is then that I know I am clear, because He in my place has vindicated justice, honored the law, and glorified God. Do you believe this? Dear friend, ask God to give you grace so that you can believe in what Christ has taught and in what the prophets and the apostles have spoken, exactly as it was meant for you to believe, not in a haphazard, unreal way, but with your whole heart, soul, and mind, accepting God's Word as it stands, in all its clearly cut lines and features. Have a quick and true answer to the question, Do you believe this distinct and clear truth? Answer, Yes, Lord. Do you believe this difficult truth? Certain truths are hard to grasp. There are points about them that almost stagger faith until faith rises to its true character and is no longer reduced to carnal reasoning. But these difficult things should still be believed. It was not easy for Martha to understand how the Lord Jesus could Himself be the resurrection and the life, and yet her brother was dead. It was not an easy truth for her to believe, and it's not easy for us. How can He who died be life? How can He whose members are still in the grave be the resurrection? How can the Son of Man have such wonderful power that resurrection and life should be entirely dependent upon Him? How can these things be? We know the fact, but we do not understand it. It's good for us if we don't think that we need to understand it, but regard it as sufficient for us to believe what is revealed, even though it may seem like a bottomless pit to our reason. Indeed, it was hard for Martha to believe that her Lord was the life, because it seemed contrary to her experience. Scripture he who believes in me will live even if he dies. John 11:25. She might hope that this was possible in the case of Lazarus, but then the Lord said, "Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die." John 11:26. How could that be true? Lazarus lived and believed in Jesus, and yet he had died. Martha's experience seemed to be contrary to Christ's statement and this might have made it difficult to believe. Therefore the Lord asked, Do you believe this? But, my brethren, when we become Christians, we no longer consider difficulties of belief, for we take the Scriptures upon divine authority and submit ourselves implicitly to their teaching. At any rate, I have done so. What the Catholic Church is to the Roman Catholics, the Bible and the Holy Spirit are to me. Believing the Bible this way, no difficulty remains that is even half as great as those that I have overcome. I believed, first of all, that God was in Christ, that He who made the heavens and the earth came down below and took upon Himself human nature, was born in Bethlehem, 
was cradled in a manger, and was nourished by his mother. After having believed that, I can believe anything. Once belief in the incarnate God is accepted, no difficulty needs to stagger my faith. Martha's speech, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world, John 11:27, proved her readiness to believe everything else that Jesus might teach. To begin with, the incarnation, which no one can be a Christian without believing, is so profound a mystery that other teachings are simple in its presence. Scripture, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16, King James Version. Once you rejoice in the light of this, which is the very day star of hope to us, that God has taken our human nature into union with Himself, you are ready for all light. Just let me know that God says anything is true, and that's enough for me. I do not quite join with the poor old woman in her words, but I agree with her spirit, who put her unquestioning faith in Scripture in the most unguarded way. When someone ridiculed her for believing that the whale swallowed Jonah, she said, Dear, if the word of God said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I would believe it. Brethren, humble yourselves before the utterance of God, not before man's decree or dogma, not before the utterance of a priest, presbyter, pastor, or philosopher, but before God, who cannot err, we humble our souls. In Him you must place implicit faith. Whatever He says, we must believe it. This is not just how it should be in one case or even in twenty, but in everything that He says. Do you believe this? Yes. This? Whatever it is. Yes. If it is indeed taught in the infallible Scripture by the Holy Spirit of God, we believe it. If your faith does not rise to this level, it will suffer for it. One day our Lord said to a group of His followers, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. John 6, 53-56 what happened next? Read and listen on. Scripture. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him any more. John 6 60 66. They asked, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? John 6 52. And they came to the conclusion that it could not be, so they deserted their teacher. Do we want to do this? The Lord Jesus Christ, at the very beginning of his ministry, prepares us to believe hard things. He tells us to count the cost about this as well as about everything else. Although we already believe certain mysteries, there are many more that we do not know of as yet, which will in due course demand our faith. When Jesus told Nicodemus about being born again, and that had shaken him, Jesus said to him, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? John 3:12. As if even regeneration, which is really full of heavenliness, was only a common truth compared with what Nicodemus had yet to believe. If Nicodemus had said, Good master, I can go as far as this, but I reserve my judgment and will go no further. Then the ruler of the Jews and the Son of God would have parted, for he cannot be Christ's disciple who will not receive all Christ's words, no matter what those words may be. Do you believe this? Do you believe this difficult truth? I ask this very earnestly to some of you, because it may be that some of you are in trouble at this moment because of lack of faith in a promise 
or a doctrine that seems difficult to you. You have a promise, Scripture. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Isaiah 43, 2. Do you believe this, even though all things appear to be consumed in the heat of your affliction? Maybe you are under a particular cloud and dense gloom. Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. And, I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. John 12, 46. Do you believe this? Can you laugh at impossibility and say it will be done because God has said it? Do you not know that things that are impossible with people are possible with God? Luke 18:27 Can your faith leap over the head of carnal reason? Can you wave current circumstances and the conclusions of your own judgment aside as you say, "Let God be found true, though every man be found a liar?" Romans 3:4 If so, you have the faith that will comfort and bless you. But if not, like Martha, you will be bowed down with sorrow since you have not yet believed the truth that can comfort you. Do you believe this truth as it stands connected with Jesus? I called your attention just now to the fact that Martha believed that there would be a resurrection. Yes, said Christ, but I am the resurrection. Do you believe this? It is one thing to believe doctrine, but it's another thing to believe that doctrine as it is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? The comfort lies in believing the truth as you find it in Him who is the truth. Martha was first called upon to believe in Christ's personal power. The dead will rise, said Martha. True, Martha, but do you believe that I will make them rise? That it is through me that the dead will live? Do you believe that I am the life and resurrection? Do you believe this? Martha was also to believe in his present power. Notice that. Even now, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. John 11, 25-26 it is one thing to believe that Jesus will have power to raise the dead at the last day, but do we believe that He is even now the resurrection and the life? Oh, the joy of believing in the personal power of Christ and in the present power of Christ! Jesus, the I Am, John eight fifty eight says, I am the resurrection and the life. Moreover, Martha was called on to believe in the union of Christ with his people. She was called on to believe that they are so one with him that they are partakers of his life, that if they would come under the power of death, they would be delivered out of it, and that being out of the power of death, they will never come under it. In Christ the dead will live, and the living will not die. Oh, someone says, but I don't understand this, for I see good people die. Yes, you see what you think is death, but they do not truly die. They rise into a higher life. That which is the essence of death never touches believers. They depart out of this world to the Father. John 13, 1. They go to be with Christ, which is far better. Philippians 1, 23. But they do not die. Death as a judicial sentence, in its innermost meaning, never comes near to those for whom Jesus has died upon the cross. His death, in their place, is the death of death to them. Do you believe this? Ask yourself if you really believe that Christ Jesus has all power in heaven and in earth. Matthew 28, 18. Ask yourself if you really worship Him as God over all blessed forever. Romans 9, 5. Do I really believe that He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or even think?
Ephesians 3.20 When I come in prayer before God, do I also believe in Christ so that I remember His promise, Scripture, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. John 14.13 Christ Himself will give you all things. Do you have such an idea of your Lord that you know that He can do all things for you now, and that in answer to your prayer He can grant you any blessing and save you out of any and every trouble? Do you believe this? If you do not, you do not have the right idea of Christ, for He is Lord of all. Acts 10.36 Thou art the King of glory, O Christ, and as such, We do believe in you, we trust you, and we find comfort in your present personal power. Do you believe that this truth is applicable to you now? That was the point with Martha, and this was where she fell short. She believed that everyone would rise. But Jesus basically said, Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? If this is true, I am able to raise your brother at once. Do you believe this? Notice that we sometimes accept great truths, yet are staggered by lesser truths. It may be that the great truth has no practical bearing upon us right now, while the present truth, although it is somewhat less in other respects, has a greater practical bearing upon us and our present situation. We doubt the promise that is most necessary to our comfort. Martha believed that everyone would rise. Therefore, it was a much smaller thing to believe that one person would rise. She doubted whether Lazarus could rise because he was in the grave, yet she believed that millions upon millions would rise from the ground. Undoubtedly, that was because of the distance of the time and the scene. She must have had some thoughts like that, for the general resurrection is the greater difficulty. Is it hard to believe that Lazarus can rise who has been dead four days? Well then, it's much harder to believe that bodies can be made alive that have been dead several hundred years. Yet Martha did believe that the dead would rise at the resurrection at the last great day. Not only those bodies that were stinking, but those whose bodies had been decayed by corruption and scattered by the four winds of heaven to the utmost ends of the earth. She believed the miracle on the grand scale. That's what she said. But when it came time to demonstrate her belief about only one person who had only been dead four days, she could not believe it. Martha believed that there would be a general resurrection of all types of people. Yet if that could be believed, it should have been much easier to expect that a favorite of Christ, like Lazarus, should rise. Jesus loved Lazarus. Certainly, he would call him from the tomb. Martha professed to believe the larger truth, and then she staggered at the less, because it was applicable to her. I ask you to see whether you are not often walking in the same path. Over there is a poor soul who believes that Jesus Christ can wash away all sin. Now, my dear friend, do you believe that he can wash your sin away? That is the point because all the sins of millions are much greater than yours can be, and if Jesus can take away the sin of so many, he can certainly take away yours. Do you believe this? Will you come and trust him for yourself? And you, Christian, you believe in general that all things work together for good to those who love God. Romans 8.28 Do you believe that all your difficulties, small and great, are working good for you? Will that toothache of yours work for your good? Do you believe that yesterday's bad debt will work for good? Do you believe that the death of your child will work for good? You know it must be easier to believe that the events of one day will work for good than to believe that all things in the world throughout life will do so. And yet it may be that you are dismayed at your present trials and you confess your misgivings. Do you have faith in everything except that which would comfort you? Do you have everything except the special requirement of the hour? How strange! How sad! 
The carpenter needs to drive a nail, and he has all his tools with him except his hammer. What is he to do? What is the good of all his other tools? If you can believe everything except the truth that would comfort you at this present moment, you are depriving yourself of comfort and strength. Do you believe this present promise, given for this very day? The Lord has said that He will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. Do you believe this? Scripture? Underneath are the everlasting arms. Deuteronomy 33, 27. Do you believe this? Thy shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. Deuteronomy 33, 25, King James Version. Do you believe this? God's Word is as the tree of life that yields its fruit every month. Revelation 22, 2. What a blessing to take the fruit from the tree of life in its month, just when it is ripest and fullest of flavor. God has said, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. Since you delight in Him, He will hear your prayer and will give you the light of His countenance. Psalm 4, 6. Do you believe this? Do you believe this practical truth? Martha said that she believed it, but her actions did not prove it. She demonstrated her belief in the Lord's Word in her declaration, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even He who comes into the world. John 11:27. However, she did not believe so as to act on the belief. Samuel Taylor Coleridge said, Truths of all others, the most awful and mysterious, and at the same time of universal interest, are too often considered as so true that they lose all the power of truth, and lie bedridden in the dormitory of the soul, side by side with the most despised and exploded errors. How true that is! Do you not know people who are better than their creed? Why is that? It is for the very same reason that many people are worse than their creed. It is because their creed is asleep and is not operating upon them. They believe as though they did not believe. This is a poor imitation of faith. I could tell you that there is a house on fire in your town at this moment. I could know it as a fact and could tell you of it, and you would believe it. But what do you care? None of you move. But if you saw the fire engine speeding down the street, and you believed that your own house was on fire, then you would rush out to see. Your belief would come a little more home to you as your own concern. In the same way, there are certain truths that do not seem to concern us much, at least for now. They are true and important, but they operate no more upon us than if they were fictitious. Martha said, she believed in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Yet what was her action? Christ commanded the bystanders to take away the stone from the sepulchre, and she interposed with her cry, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. John 11:39. She feared the unpleasant consequences of uncovering such a body of corruption, even though He who is the resurrection and the life stood at the grave's mouth. Oh, Martha, where is your faith in Him? Martha said that she believed in Jesus as the resurrection and the life, and yet she was afraid that her brother would not rise, even though the Mighty One stood there to raise him. Is she not just like you and me? We believe that God hears prayer, and therefore we pray. But if the Lord wants to surprise us, He only has to answer our requests. I have seen God's children running with vast astonishment to tell their friends, How wonderful! Such a marvelous thing has happened to me! I prayed, and God answered my prayer. Is it an amazing thing that God would do as He said He would? They put these things in books as marvels, and they titled the book Remarkable Answers to Prayer. Is it remarkable 
that it is cold when it freezes? Do we speak of the remarkable warmth of the sun's beams in the middle of summer? Is it remarkable that the fires in our houses should warm us when we put our hands to them? Is he a remarkable God because he says he will hear prayer and does it? An answer to prayer should be remembered with gratitude. Yet it should be regarded as the most natural thing in all the world that our Heavenly Father would fulfill his promises to his children. It is a great wonder that God would promise, but it's not a wonder that he would do what he says he will do. It is marvelous that God would promise to hear prayer, but it's no wonder at all that he keeps his word when he has promised to do so. Brethren, we are to a great degree impractical in other respects also, and we can take up many truths that we do not act upon and say to our heart, Do you believe this? A believer might say today, I am so weak in spirit that I will utterly fall and perish in the end. I could respond, Do you believe God? The Lord has said, He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Isaiah 40:29. Do you believe this? I could go to another believer who is mourning and crying because of his poverty and say to him, God has said, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84:11. Do you believe this? What would the complainer say? How could he reconcile his discomfort and his murmuring with his belief in the comforting promise? My brethren, let us then go over these matters in our souls. We call ourselves believers, but are we believers at all? If we doubt the precious things of God one after another when they come before us in detail, where is our faith? Let us plead with God to grant us grace that we will put our finger on this doctrine, on that promise, and on the other assurance, and say of each one, Lord, I believe this, and I believe this, and I believe this, for I believe whatever you say in your word, and I know that it will be done just as you have said. May God bless you, beloved, and be always with you, for Christ's sake. Amen.